This is Graphic Novel TK, your podcast guide to comic book publishing. Hi, and welcome to Graphic Novel TK. I'm Gina Gagliano. And I'm Allison Wilgus. What are we talking about today? Being a working comics industry professional, what's involved in thinking about comics as a career? We're talking to Jen Wang today to find out. Jen, can you tell us a little about who you are, how you got into comics, and what you're doing now? Yeah, um, I'm a cartoonist. Um, I'm writer and illustrator, um, and I work primarily in kind of a graphic novel format. Um, so, you know, if we're going to be specific, I, I guess like I, I do graphic novels um, that are sort of aimed at a YA middle grade audience. So stuff that you'd be able to find, um, you know, at like a Barnes and Noble and, uh, you know, libraries and stuff. And the books I've done so far, I've done with uh, the publisher for a second. Um, my first book is called Coco Be Good. And the second one is called In Real Life, which was co-written with Cory Doctorow, a sort of a blogger and um, editor of Boing Boing. And my newest one that came out this year is called The Prince and the Dressmaker. And I just finished up doing another book, uh, also with First Second, that hasn't been announced yet. So that's kind of what I'm doing, kind of wrapping up at the moment. And then in my spare time, um, I, uh, I, I'm also, a, a, you know, like do freelance kind of illustration and stuff. And then um, I also organize um, Comic Arts LA, which is like a, a comics festival based in LA that's kind of focuses on indie comics. And um, it's a public event that's free uh, and anyone can attend. So um, if there are people who are in LA or in the general area or like to visit um, in December, um, that's going to be December 8th and 9th this year. So yeah, so that's what I've been um, trying to put together. <laughs> I had no idea that you organized Comics Art LA. I had missed this somehow. That's very cool. I have a ton of friends who really love that show. Yeah, it's a little bit on the download because I don't want it to be attached to um, any book promotion related stuff. Like, I, I, I'm happy with it just being like, you know, its own thing and I can be totally anonymous. And I mean, I, there's, there's like other organizers too. So it's not it's not just me, but you know. Yeah, but it's really cool you're involved with it. So how did you get into comics in the first place? I feel like I started doing comics in high school, basically, like, like formally. Like, I always liked writing and I always liked drawing. I just didn't really put them together in that specific format until I started reading manga um, in high school. And then um, I, yeah, just like I got introduced to webcomics around that time. And then I started doing a webcomic um, my junior year of high school after um, um, I, I met some friends who were also really into manga and they're like yeah you can just put comics online and so um that was kind of my first audience also uh which was very much a big part of how I stayed in comics um because I think everything I'd done before was just like this private you know this was like a little bit pre um everybody is on the internet kind of world so um it was very much like just a thing that maybe me and my sister we're looking at and then after I started putting comics online I, I had readers and and uh, I met also other comic artists my age who were also um, teenagers who were kind of you know reading the same kinds of comics that I was and so that I think ended up being how I stayed inspired and motivated and and a lot of these people I'm still really good friends with today, like like Vera Braskal, <laughs> who's like another, you know, like, you know, amazing graphic novelist. 
that's kind of just how it started. And then I never really, it kind of went in and out of being a focus in my life, but it's always been there since then. So the focus of this episode is really talking about being a working comics industry professional. And obviously, there are a whole lot of ways that people can make comics, like people make comics for fun, they make them in their spare time, they make them to relax, they make them as kind of like a side freelance gig to their main job. And those are all super great ways to be interacting with the comics industry and great ways to be making comics. Uh, But we want to specifically talk in this episode about comics as a full-time job and how exactly that works. Jen, was there a point when you realized that you could have a job making comics? Like, was there kind of like a moment when you realized like, people do this for a living? I wouldn't say there was ever a moment. There weren't like a ton of kind of well known comic artists who were kind of like, like in in the field that we sort of are familiar with now, um, back when I was growing up. So yeah, like graphic novelists, like that's, it's a relatively new phenomenon. Yeah, so I think I think before that, I I was aware that there were people who did comics. There were Sunday Funnies, and I I feel like also maybe like even throughout college, there's kind of the sense that um, I think just maybe as a young person, you're not thinking as much about career in the sense of like work life time management, and more just like you're focused on skills, right? So I think. Um, there was a long time that was just about, you know, wanting to be a better writer, wanting to be, you know, be a better artist. And I just kind of thought that I'd be doing comics on my own time, you know, because I was putting stuff online and there were people who were making a living sort of um, doing that, uh, just, you know, either by selling merchandise or something. I didn't know if that was exactly what I was going to do, but I knew you could live a life where you were just making comics. Um, and you know, however you were supporting yourself, that would be a separate issue. And I, I feel like it was only more in the past, like 10 to 15 years that there were people like uh, Kazu Kibushi or Raina Tungemeyer who were like formally, you know, having like graphic novel series and having like a career the way we, we sort of have a little bit of now. So I think that was a point where I was like, oh, I guess this is one way you can do it. (laughs) You know, I I feel like before there were also people who were doing work with like licensed content. Um, That was also another way. But um, I I didn't know as much about that. But you know, that was also available, I guess, if I, if I really just wanted to do comics. So how did Coco Be Good come about? Because I I mean, obviously, you had your webcomic for a while. Am I remembering correctly that you were Strings of Fate? Was that what it was? Yeah, I should have I should have mentioned that. (laughs) Oh, no, I I just I read that many, many years ago. (laughs) So I mean, obviously, like you've been doing comics for a bit. So how did Coco Be Good kind of happen? Did somebody reach out to you? Or had you started working that on your own? Or? Yeah, I I started doing that on my own. Uh, It was sort of um, a, a longer uh, extended version of a short comic I had done in college um, back when I was kind of actually thinking I wasn't really going to pursue art at all. But, you know, I, I, I wanted to continue doing comics and just, um, you know, sort of in, in a separate capacity, but I, I wasn't really thinking of um, uh, art as a career. And I thought, well, if that's the case, then I want to do at least one complete 
uh, story or book or something to just kind of get it out of my system. So I, I started doing that kind of um, my last semester of, of school. Uh, and I just kind of did it on my own time. Um, and then when I had a, a penciled draft, uh, that's when I talked to my agent, Judy Hansen, who was someone who I met through doing the flight anthologies, um, which was a, a, it was an anthology. The first volume came out in, in 2004 um, and it was edited by Kazu Kibushi. And this was before any of us had published with any publishers. And this was like the first kind of publishing effort. So Judy was the agent who kind of got a publisher involved with the anthology. And, and she had said that like, if any of us uh, were interested in pitching some of our own work that she would, uh, you know, she would take as honest clients. And so I was really lucky in that I never had to like query or, you know, send out anything. I just kind of had an agent because I had participated in, in this one anthology. So yeah, so after I finished this pencil draft of Coco, uh, Judy kind of sent it out to a couple places and then uh, for a second was interested. Yeah. And then, and then I, after we sold, the book to for a second, then, you know, then there was the second half of just completing the rest of the book, like inking and coloring and all that. So you just graduated in college at this point. Yeah. Did you have another job that you were doing at the same time while you were drawing that first book? Or did you get to just concentrate on drawing the book? I don't remember how long exactly it took to make Coco, but um, I had like some retail jobs um, in San Francisco. I moved to Portland for a little bit. And there were periods of employment and unemployment <laughs> while I was there. <laughs> and then I moved back home to the Bay Area, to the East Bay. And I, I lived at home for a little bit. And uh, I worked at a hostel for a little bit and um, uh, saved up some money and then was working on cocoa kind of while I was there. So um, so that's kind of what was happening while I was drawing. Yeah. So you finished cocoa and published that. Then in real life with Cory Doctor was coming up. Where in that schedule did you become a full-time cartoonist? Um, so it's like tricky to define. I feel like it's more that I became freelance when I moved to Los Angeles. And more or less meaning I just never um, kind of got a job after I moved to LA. I was doing just kind of like you know, illustration and also like freelance, like book covers and, and uh, other small comics. I guess when I think about comics being a full-time thing, it's more like over the course of many years, it just becomes a slightly bigger part of the pie. <laughs> the like, um, And it's only really been, I think in the past year or so um, that it's kind of become a bigger portion of the income pie. <laughs> so yeah. And then before that, it was always like just a part of a, a general freelance thing. So like one of several commitments you're kind of juggling at the same time? Yeah, like there wasn't ever like a strict dividing line between like before and after. It's just like a blob that kind of grows a little bigger. <laughs> and uh, and yeah. eventually is, is like kind of more of the focus. See, I'm, I'm really glad that we're talking to you about this, because I think there's definitely a perception that you sort of get out of art school, and then either you sell your book and become a full-time cartoonist, or, you know, you work a retail job until you sell your book and become a full-time cartoonist. And like, 
I think for a lot of people, it's messier. Like, I think that your experience is actually a lot of people's experience where it's kind of like, you know, you started doing anthology work in 2004, and then published three books. And then in 2017, about a year ago, you became a full time cartoonist, more or less with some other freelance illustration on the side, and organizing a festival in your spare time. Too. You know, because why not? Just a little, a little light festival organizing amidst everything else. Yeah, I, I would say that that's, um, you know, it's also the market has changed a lot since, you know, 2004, when that anthology had come out. Like, there's lots of different ways that people get into professional comics now. And it's still, it's still very varied, but there's um, slightly more options if that's what you want to get into. But uh, yeah, I would say that most people, I think, just have, there isn't a very linear path to it. And that's kind of the, the thing that everyone has in common, I guess, is that you, everyone kind of falls into it a different way. So was having comics kind of take over your work pie diagram a goal of yours? Was that something that like in 2004, you're getting out of school and you're like, okay, you know, I'm going to have this work pie. And I would like at least 75% of it to be my graphic novel making and then 25% of it to be freelance illustration and festival organizing. Or were you thinking about it differently? Like, how are you kind of thinking about your career plan schema? Like as you're kind of making decisions about how you're going to spend your time. I didn't really have a very clear vision about what was going to happen because there is no kind of path where you're like, okay, first I do, you know, grad school and then I, you know, or, or I do med school and then I do this and then I do that. Like, it's very much like, let's look at this year and what's kind of available. And, you know, you kind of take one thing at a time. I, I would say that overall, like, I wasn't totally sure that doing a full-time graphic novel thing was really a thing. I just kind of felt like, well, I'll do one. And that worked out, you know, somehow got the system to <laughs> like work around me. <laughs> I guess, well, you know, we'll just see what happens next. I think it's more about adaptation. Um, I like the idea of just doing this kind of work while it's viable, but I was always ready to kind of switch gears if it really doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. So like, it's interesting because you were talking about how Coco was a book that you began doing as sort of like, you know, a personal project in your free time. And obviously, you know, in real life is very different in one way, because it was, uh, you were, you co-adapted a short story, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, it was very much the complete opposite of working on Coco because I was also working from the start with the publisher, you know, with an editor and with yeah. another writer. And uh, I um, had never written a script before. With Coco, I, I sort of scribbled down what was going to happen in every chapter, Just kind of improvise a little as I went along. And, and like some, some artists, uh, some graphic novelists still do it that way, um, where they thumbnail the book first. Um, and that's actually their their scripts. I think Faith and Raina both do it that way. So does Jean Yang. Yeah, like like uh, Raina and I think Kazu does it that way too. There's a lot of um, variation in like how people people do it. But um, yeah, so I was you know kind of doing it similarly before, but with in real life, you know, because I was working with another uh, another writer and and it just felt like. It would take too much time. It would be a little too messy, maybe, to do it that way. Uh, I 
wrote my first script and just started doing drafts like that, um, like more like a like a play or a or a, or movie script. So um, so that was the first time that I kind of got started with this system that I that I use now. And like now I write scripts and I write outlines in a very kind of like organized way. And now you have uh, first Prince and the Dressmaker, and now this new unannounced book, which I'm I'm excited about just on principle. Yeah. So like. You, like you said, you've moved, this is a very different place that you are now than you were when you were working on Coco. Like, so do you feel like, in addition to your process changing, do you feel like your relationship to your work has changed now that you're doing it in this very professional capacity, or does it still feel basically the same? Um, it feels both different, very different, and also the same. <laughs> I think the process itself, like the, the physical production of it, feels exactly the same almost as it did when I was doing my webcomic, um, Strings of Fate. Like, doing a webcomic, I feel like, is what taught me, like, almost 90% of my process. And that's exactly how I how I still like to do comics today. Like, I, I uh, a lot of people work um, digitally now. Like, I still work on paper. There's just a lot of the process that I think I figured out what works for me. In terms of relationship, I feel like it's just more that... It's hard to define what exactly is strictly work related and how much is strictly just being like ten years older, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> like you know the difference between like graduating college and then being like you know like thirty four now. So a lot of it's just that um, I I think it's just a lot healthier. When I was working on Coco, it was extremely intense. Um, I was very passionate, and I put everything of myself of my life of my you know physical <laughs> abilities into making that book and it was both really thrilling and also really draining i think at the end of it it was a little unclear whether it was a good thing to be making comics because it was it's it took so much out of me and i feel like since then every book has been just like a huge step forward in terms of being able to see the work as something that I can learn from and can be a positive experience, but also is not something that controls me. Like I control it, you know? Um, and, and the Prince and the Dressmaker, I think was the, was the point at which it started to feel like, um, I, I think because in real life was like a, just like a very different process um, that, that felt like a transition period where it felt very professional I was like working with a publisher from the very beginning. It was a, just a different mindset. Um, and I think in real life kind of helped make it feel, I guess, not like a detachment, but just like, like a healthy break between where my life and my work kind of are. Uh, so, and then the, the Prince and the Dressmaker was like really the first, I think, chance that I as like, an artist who was, uh, you know, writing their own work and really could potentially put a lot of myself into it. It, it was a way for me to do something that was super fun. Um, like the Prince and the Dressmaker was maybe the most fun I'd, I'd have, you know, doing comics since the web comics since I was in high school. It, it really shows on the page. It's so good. It felt like, you know, I was like a kid drawing something really fun and indulgent. But, you know, but I was also able to just like, it didn't, control how I felt about myself 
um, in the same way that it had when I was working on Coco. Like if I have a bad day drawing now, I don't actually, you know, it doesn't make me feel bad of myself. It's it, like, it's fine. I have other things in my life that, <laughs> that, you know, that I can turn to that give me value as a person, as opposed to, oh, like the art is me and I, you know, can't break away from that. So if I have a bad drawing day, I'm literally a bad person. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and then and then uh, working on the new book was also kind of, you know, just like a follow up to that. Like, it just feels like I have a good relationship with it now. Yeah. And that's the main difference. So it sounds like you've been thinking a lot about sustainability in terms of like, your ability to keep doing this. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I still do kind of feel like, um, like every year it gets easier, but it, there's still that element of, well, you don't know what things are going to be like in a year and two years. So like, I, I like doing what I do. Um, I, I would like to continue, but also I feel okay if, if that's the last book I can do, you know, for any number of reasons, um, because uh, it's not a very typical job. I think you have to accept that you don't really know what your career is going to look like. So the time scale that you're making these projects on is changing too, as you kind of are transitioning to full time, right? Because In Real Life came out in 2014. And then you had The Prince and the Dressmaker this year and next year is exciting unannounced project. Is that something that's causing or kind of like going along with this change in how you're looking at your your work and your career? I think just within the past year, having The Prince come out and then sort of having a, another book follow it pretty quickly. And just like the fact that The Prince and the Dressmaker is doing well, I, I think, you know, <laughs> um, it's, it Yay. seems like it's doing well. But um, I think like that, that makes a huge difference because then um, I have some more options. There is a little bit more of a stability there and... Yeah, I, I think before the prints came out, it was still a little bit like, well, we don't, we don't really know. We'll just take it, you know, one project at a time. And now I can think a little more ahead. I, I don't know. I, I, I want to think ahead, but I, I also feel like it's good that it's happening now. Uh, at least, at least for me personally, than maybe if um, you know Coco had hit it out of the ballpark and it was just like immediately like I never had to feel anxious <laughs> about what was going to happen because um, I think uh, maybe having a better relationship um, with work and and with like producing books now like makes me feel like I can really look at what I do like about it and what's meaningful for me and what's worth it and what would make it feel not worth it. So can you talk to us a little about what the day-to-day of your work is? Like what is it like being a full-time comics creator, a full-time graphic novelist? The day-to-day depends on what stage I'm in. When there's not like a a book in production, um, there's usually I'm just kind of in some kind of writing and general freelance phase. uh, And that's pretty flexible while there's always kind of like something going on in the background. And usually that's also when I'm like, you know, crossing my fingers, <laughs> like something works out. Um, and, uh, and then also like, I'm probably working on um, comic arts LA stuff, like when I'm not uh, doing that. And then when I'm in production on a book, um, it's very, it's very routine. Um, because everything is so big, uh, you know, like a, a full length book is, you know, maybe about like 200 something pages. And so I do, I do things, you know, where like I, 
uh, I'll script first and then I'll thumbnail and then I'll pencil, ink, um, color, et cetera, et cetera. So at any given day, I know exactly what I need to do. Um, maybe I have a quota, maybe I just have like, you know, like a set of like tasks I need to do, but it's, uh, every day is the same. And I, I don't really need to like manage, um, <laughs> like any kind of variations. Um, it's usually just like, oh, I get up and then I get to my desk, you know, after I've done my morning routines and, you know, check Twitter enough. And then, uh, yeah, just like do whatever three pages, four pages, you know, however much I, I decided I was going to do. And then, you know, and then you just do that for like two months or so, or two or three months, and then, then you know, maybe take a little break and go on to the next stage. So um, it's very nice in a way, um, because like, I know exactly what I need to do every day. Um, and otherwise, it can be very boring and isolating. Yeah, because it's exactly the same thing every day. So I mean, that's like a really good point. We interviewed Carrie Peach a few episodes ago, and we talked to her about this a little bit. Um, like, what kinds of things do you build into your life to make sure that you don't just become like a sad hermit? Like, you know, because it's really exhausting to be working on publishing takes a long time. Books take a long time to make, and you have to still be a person. So like, what kind of systems have you set up in your life to make sure that you get to still be a person and not just like a comics machine yeah i feel like it's like well i mean to be honest i'm probably not doing enough of a good job um you know having a life outside of that when i'm in production but i think a lot of that is because um you do have a deadline but then there's just so much work to do you just end up kind of like having to to blow past whatever like um, normal seeming schedule you have for yourself and, and then it becomes like uh, just like another marathon event but other than that um, I really do try to um, I actually like kind of remove myself from comicsness a lot um, not like intentionally it's just I almost like I, I don't really like read a lot of comics or get very involved in even just things that are that remind me of what I'm doing, I'll just take up lots of very different hobbies. And um, my my partner doesn't work in comics or anything, so like I don't. It's not like I'm talking about comics all day. And having a space where it's not what I'm doing um, very often helps a lot. Um, I'll have other things like you know, like I like to cook or go running and things that just break me out of this is the, you know, the only thing I'm doing right now. So, you know, and then just going out and trying to have a social life in between. Because between comics art LA and making comics, that's a lot of comics that might be sufficient comics. Yeah. Although I would say um, comic arts LA feels um, it taps into a very different part of me, even though it is comics related. I feel like what I'm doing with it, it doesn't feel artistic in the same way um it's a different kind of challenge and i actually find that to be a good alternate activity for me comics is for me is like it's very isolated personal pursuit especially since a lot of the books i've done you know i I wrote and so they are very much like me in my own head um and with comic arts la it's very much well my interest in it is very community based so um i'm thinking about ways to make it more accessible to people like what kinds of local institutions that we can connect with and and i very much think about it in a in just like the opposite way like it's not about me at all um and that's what's really freeing does it also help you kind of stay connected with like other cartoonists in the area or is it more like you're kind of dealing with 
community outreach and things like that? Yeah, I feel like it's more, you know, talking to librarians who, who I really love and yeah, just like looking at a lot of local stuff that isn't directly comics related. Um, you know, it's just like different art institutions. For me, it's it's about kind of building like a sense of of community, like using art as as a tool to connect different people. It's not necessarily about um, networking with specific comic artists or, you know, I feel like I already know enough about <laughs> what's going on in comics that um, that I feel like it's more what do I, in my experience, um, feel like we could see more of or how do, how do I share what I understand about comics with like people who either don't know anything and are curious or know about comics but just haven't really had a chance to to really like indulge in it or feel confident that you know they can be a part of this yeah yeah so it's like you know there's like a community of readers that you're doing outreach to with the festival yeah which is so important oh my god yes (laughs) but you know when you're talking about like flight and other authors that you um you know you have known through that there's also this like community of cartoonists also who kind of like interact with each other and with each other's work like it is that community something that you feel like you kind of engage with that kind of helped you like figure out a path to being a a full-time graphic novelist or who has kind of like helped you or supported you or kind of navigated the kind of space that you found yourself in I feel like ultimately the most important parts of that are just feeling like you're not the only person. Because I I feel like, you know, it is so kind of a wild west in a way that no one really knows exactly like what they should be doing or or what's going to work out. I feel like just having peers is important. Just having like a support group more than like inspiration in terms of uh, having like a model to work off of, I think. Cause I, I feel like at any point, I just feel like, you know, I, I'm like going down this path that I don't necessarily think, you know, is following exactly what someone else has done before, but just knowing that, that there are other people who are kind of trying to figure it out, you know, makes it feel less lonely, I guess. Yeah. And a lot of these people, it's beyond just being industry friends like they're just friends also (laughs) so oh yeah you know because you 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 know you know these people and they stay the people in comics for you know however long you're gonna be there so um yeah like so many people I've known since or I've been aware of even just like since you know since high school since college since you know just getting started in comics so it's uh they become kind of your your peer group like the people you kind of came up with it's interesting because I, you know, you've, you've mentioned a few times about specifically how a lot of people that you're friends with are people who are like your age and who have been kind of coming up around the same time as you. Uh, it's interesting because a conversation I've had with a few people is that on both sides of this, both people who are asking advice and people who are giving advice is this whole idea of, you know, how somebody got into comics 20 years ago isn't necessarily going to apply to somebody trying to get into comics now. And so it's very helpful to know people who are kind of came in around the same time as you and are close to the same age as you, because everything changes so fast that people even really only two to five years ahead of you or behind you might have a completely different experience. You mentioned that you have an agent. How 
was your agent kind of a part of this turning comics into a career thing? Is that a thing that she helped with? Is that a thing that she was kind of like talking to you and advising you and kind of planning things with you? It's hard for me to imagine what it would be like without my agent because, um, you know, I just, I don't know what would have happened. <laughs> but um, she feels very instrumental in just kind of knowing the, the book industry. When Coco was published, that was kind of the first wave of book industry publishers being interested in kind of graphic novels specifically and looking to that generation at the time of, um, of like young artists, uh, and like kind of what was, you know, kind of looking for stuff to publish. And, um, you know, I didn't really know anything about publishing. So most of my, I guess, experience with, was with, um, you know, cause I came from kind of a, like an indie comic side of things. It's a lot of people who are doing, you know, small press or, you know, Kickstarters. And now I guess there's like Patreon and stuff like that. So it's a very different world working in the industry that's been around for, you know, a very, very long time. So I think, uh, having Judy around to sort of navigate what things mean and, and like, yeah, just like giving me an idea of like what's happening. It was very important. I feel like she doesn't really advise me on what I, uh, she'll, she'll let me know what is maybe a good option for what I want, but I've never really been influenced to do anything that I think what didn't already feel natural to me. So she's not someone who's necessarily like sitting down with you being like, Jen, let's plan the next phase of your career. I hear that YA graphic novels are going to be the next hot thing. So let's see if we can get you a two book deal. How do you feel about that? You know, I think if that if that's what I wanted, I could have probably approached her that way. But I think um, both because I, I, I don't think that's how I operate. Like I'm very much like I'm going to do it this way. <laughs> um, so I think just, uh, you know, she will ask me what I want. And then she'll try to tell me if that just won't work at all. Um, or, you know, if there's a way to, to do that. Cause I, you know, I think we both realized that I'm only really going to be doing it if I'm able to, to enjoy myself. Um, cause otherwise why would anyone do this? Yeah. So I think it's more just working around my needs and what I would like to do. Um, and, and if there's like a way to sort of like make that work within the system. So you're talking about how, in addition to doing your comics, you're also juggling freelance at the same time. Um, but obviously, like you said, you have deadlines and things have to get done in a certain amount of time. So how do you approach making decisions about what kind of extra work to take on or whether to take it on? Because I feel like a lot of people end up with opportunities maybe beyond what they can actually commit to. So you have to kind of make choices. And like, what kind of rubric do you use for making those choices? It used to be... Um, very like feast or famine. So I think I just tried to take what I could for sure. This is like the first time I can really just, I've been like turning things down because um, both I don't have time, but also because uh, ultimately it's just, it's just not really worth it for me to kind of, you know, stretch myself to do all those things. And I, I can do okay without it now. So I have more options now in terms of like, taking freelance that I think would be interesting because maybe I haven't done it before um, or it just seems like kind of a, you know, a fun gig or, you know, or I just like don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> so, you know, cause I mean, ultimately I would rather um, because comics take so much time and I'm able to focus on that more. Um, I would prefer to just keep it 
focus to that. And there are, you know, other things like, like Comic Arts of Life, for example, that, you know, require my time. So, yeah. And what sort of freelance were you doing? Was it like editorial illustration, magazine illustration, book covers, book interiors, like corporate art pieces, advertising, animation stuff, or other stuff? It's it's kind of a mix. There's like some magazine stuff, uh, some book interior and cover stuff, like kind of in the in the like YA, you know, middle grade realm. Um, you know, and then there's just like one off someone wants a portrait of their dog or something, you know, so there's <laughs> it kind of yeah, there's it's all over the place. I feel like there's a version of me that that I can see myself having gone into editorial illustration would have been which would have been very different. Um and was maybe the savvier thing to do. But uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I, I didn't go to art school. I, I didn't really know that that could be a viable thing for me. Uh, and I think I, I was more interested in doing narrative type work anyway. So I think I just kind of stuck with comics, I guess. And at this point, are you, I mean, I'm sure this has changed over time. Like, are you kind of pitching people and kind of hustling for stuff? Or are you mostly having offers handed to you? Is this something that Judy is helping you out with? Like kind of how are jobs coming to you? And I guess, how has that changed over time? Um, I've never really pitched much stuff. Um, usually it's something that's coming to me. If it's like publishing related, like if it's a book cover or interior thing, that's usually through Judy. But, um, you know, magazine stuff or more editorial stuff like that, that just, you know, they saw my portfolio or, you know, somewhere. So... I'm kind of bad and weird with like the hustle. So, oh, I'm terrible at it. Yeah, I don't think that ever really worked out for me. So, uh, so speaking of hustling, let's talk about money a little. So, when you get paid for a graphic novel, you get paid in several parts, right? Like you don't just get all the money at once. Uh, how does that? How does that work? I guess like the way. Um, we've been breaking it down for the past two books is we'll do like three, I guess, like chunks of the advance where there's one maybe in the kind of in the writing stage, kind of maybe like, you know, on signing, I guess. Uh, And then like one sort of halfway through and then one after I turned everything in. So so it's kind of broken up into threes. And then once that advance earns out, you also get a royalty, which comes in once a year. I think twice at this point. And I, I finally get a royalty from in real life now. <laughs> like as a Congratulations. Yay, that's you so good. Out. Yeah, it was my first my first like royalty. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Yeah. So hopefully I, not the last. I, yeah. I think that's something that people don't really think about is that like on the one hand, it's really great when you get a substantial advance because you can eat and pay rent while you're working on your book, and that's amazing. The other hand, you then it it can take a while, <laughs> to, yeah, to earn that advance out. And also, you know, if you get a, a thirty thousand dollar advance, say, and you're getting it in thirds, like what that means is that you sign the contract and you get ten thousand dollars, which has to last until you get that halfway through payment. At which point, you get another ten thousand dollars. And then that has to last until you turn in the entire book at which you get another $10,000, which has to last until whatever the next paycheck or project comes in. 
Yeah. And, it, you know, I think especially if, if you were kind of just starting out now and you have that first published book that you're working on, um, that can seem like so much money, you know, like, like the most money you'd ever gotten at that point in your life. But it goes very quickly because it takes a long time to do the comic. And also there's just you don't really have a lot of space to take on more work, you know, um, at least if you're doing it full time, if you are doing it um, sort of as like a side gig, it just means that it's going to take even longer <laughs> to finish the book. Yeah, it's just it seems like a lot of money, but but stretched out, it, it really kind of isn't. So how do you think about that money and kind of like scheduling your work and balancing it? Is that something that really comes into the equation? Or do you just kind of thinking about it in concert with picking up freelance work? Well, I think the problem with that is just like, there isn't a lot of flexibility because um, that's the money you're going to get. And then you either finish the book on time or you don't. Maybe it goes over a little bit, but then it just... Uh, I, I think a lot of it is just kind of knowing that some parts are going to be more difficult than others. And like, for me, it's gotten easier um, every year just because like you kind of build up more experience and then more clients, more jobs. But, um, you know, like throughout this book, like I was still doing some freelance uh, and it's just because sometimes you think you have time and then like two weeks later, things get a lot crazier and, but you've already committed to doing all this stuff <laughs> that, that you didn't anticipate was like really going to like crash at all at the same time, you know? So obviously another part of money is taxes, which people have to pay every year. Um, are those complicated as a working comics industry professional? Like how do you, how do you kind of like think about and plan for your taxes? I mean, I think the truth is up until um, like last year, um, you know, in full transparency, last year was the first year I made over $30,000. Um, you know, I was like 33 years old. <laughs> I, I didn't really make a lot of money every year so that doing the taxes was just like, you know, I, I did my own taxes um, and it wasn't super complicated um, in a way. So I don't know, I, you just like, make sure you saved up enough. <laughs> oh, God. Were you doing them quarterly or, or once a year? Um, I did it once a year because I, I, I wasn't sure. I, I think it would have probably been better to do it quarterly, but I think I was afraid of the kind of, you know, feast or famine um, nature of the income that, um, you know, if I get a bunch of money now, at least I can save it and kind of plan ahead that way is kind of how I was thinking about it. But uh, that's changing now because like things are a little more stable, I think. So a lot of it was I just didn't really spend a lot of money <laughs> like in general. Yeah. So I don't know. Like I, it's difficult because I feel like for me, it's hard to not make a lot of money. But it's also I kind of feel like it is it was my choice. Um, like obviously I, I want artists to be able to make more money. But I, I feel like talking about like wages and, you know, thing is kind of a separate issue. And it's more that I feel like I am pretty privileged. I don't have, you know, a lot of debt. I went to, you know, like a state school. I have good health. I don't have dependents. You know, I'm able to live pretty cheaply. And if things were different in my life, I would have maybe had to choose a different path um, a lot earlier. But because I was able to kind of do it, and I just kind of felt like I didn't really need a lot. And I sort of enjoy 
what it is right now. Um, I know it's not going to last forever, but I'm just going to like, you know, do it until it doesn't feel viable anymore. And luckily, uh, things have improved versus gotten harder. So, um, so I've fingers crossed kind of made it through sort of, I don't know, less uh, viable period. And, and now I have more choices. But yeah, it, it's like I, I recommend this kind of career for someone who you know like if there was another me out there i'm like yes you should do it because it's it's like I, you know i love it but it's it has its own challenges and i think it's just it you know you really have to be honest with yourself about what makes you happy you know what makes you comfortable and, and whether it fits with how you want your life to be i don't know if i wanted to be able to do things a different way or, or, or live my life in a different way uh, i would have to make some different choices yeah Again, I'm like, I'm glad we're talking to you about some of this, because I, I definitely think there's this perception sometimes that if you're going to succeed in comics, what that looks like is your first book comes out, and it sells like 10 million copies, and you are very successful, and it's great, and that if you don't do that, that means that you're a failure, and you should stop doing comics, and nobody wants to read your books, whereas I think most people have an experience of like, well, you do your first book, and stuff happens that's kind of mid-list thing of like people are reading it and it's exciting but you know and maybe it's not all the people yet and that doesn't mean that you're not good at comics or that you're a failure it just means that sometimes it takes a while to kind of grow your career yeah i mean like like my first book uh, coco didn't really sell you know and i that was the book that i felt like i put most of my like kind of hopes and dreams on and it didn't really work out and you just move on to the next thing um because uh, you know it, it's like you know maybe like a sports analogy or something is like well if you lose a game like that's that doesn't mean you just quit forever you know i mean you know you can if you want to but <laughs> like um it, it's more you know if you're thinking about it being something that you just kind of want to do. Um, some of the most successful kind of comic artists have their own ups and downs, you know, in their careers. And not everything works, um, but that doesn't mean that you don't have like a body of work at the end of the day that you can look back on and think like, oh, this was interesting to me or this was challenging to me. And, and that's why it was worth it. Yeah, and I think that you're right to kind of be describing this as a constant negotiation with yourself, right? Where you're, you're looking at all these different factors in your life. And one of them is, how happy are you? One of them is, you know, what reception are the books that you're doing getting? One is like, what freelance work are you doing? How happy are you with that? One is like, are you happy with where you're living? One is like, are you happy in your like friends and relationships? And one of them is like, are you happy with how much money you have? You kind of look at all of those and balance them. And money is one of the factors, but it's not necessarily all of the factors. Yeah, you know, there's no success endpoint. Like, oh, this one book maybe did well, but, um, you know, publishing trends change immediately after that. And it's just, um, you know, you're kind of back at the beginning. And it, it's a little scary to never really know what's going to happen. But, um, but on the other hand, I also think it's kind of cool because it really asks you at, at any time to reevaluate, like, what it is you care about and, and what you enjoy doing, I guess. Yeah. And also, like, if you decide that this isn't what you want to do, it's not 
really a failure either, which, you know, I, I don't want to, to make it sound like I like persevered because I toughed it out. And that's why I'm, you know, like, <laughs> like, that's the only way it's, I, I, I actually, you know, I'm very willing to, to say that, like, if circumstances in my life change, like, you know, maybe you say, I don't know, like, I get a disease, I don't know, like, you know, if like things, things are different, um, or, you know, or like, I, I need to buy a house, or like, I have a kid or something like these are all normal life changes. And I'm perfectly happy to have done what I've been able to do. But also, I know that comics are always going to be a part of my life, you know, just because you're not constantly working on a comic doesn't mean that you failed at anything. People can go a very long time between without doing a, a specific kind of art. But I mean, it's art. It's like always going to be a part of you. And, you know, I already feel that trying to mix art and capitalism is already pretty fraught and making yeah. it a career makes it very weird. Um, but I think if you detach those two things and just think of it as art is just like a part of your life and, and a, a way that you express things. And, you know, sometimes it fits in with the capitalist part of your life and uh, other times it, it doesn't. And that's totally fine. You know, if I had to walk away from comics today, um, you know, I feel like I tried, you know, I, I don't feel like I failed or anything, you know. Also, you, you made a bunch of very good books also, which like, no matter what happens, you've made those books and they exist in the world. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, like, to be fair, it's like, well, it's easy for me to say because I did have books that were published, at least. <laughs> oh, no, I just mean, like, I feel like that's true for everybody. Like, even if you have like that half finished manuscript that you're not going to finish, like you still did draw all those pages. It, that's the one of the weirdly nice things about comics is like this physical evidence of the time and effort. Even if things don't work out, you can still be like, but I did all these things. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, I also, you know, I think it's like, um, even though when we talk about professional, I know that that means a very specific thing, but I think if also, if you're a person who did a free webcomic for, you know, a number of years, and that's like a thing that people read, and it's like, you know, meaningful, you know, to you and to other people who've read it, like, I feel like that is just as valid, because, like, ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, you know? that's something you can just do on your own and on your own time and, and on your own terms. Yeah. So you've brought up a few times that you're very healthy, which Allie and I are both very glad to hear, but how are you thinking of health insurance with this, within this? Is it something that's on your mind and coming up? You know, I'm, I'm in California, so I have the like covered California health insurance. Now there was definitely a period where I didn't have insurance, but you know, I, I have had it since we, you know, we had Obamacare. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think about that. I, I live in Los Angeles. So, you know, a lot of cartoonists have worked or currently work in animation. Um, and that's like a way that they can have some kind of stability and continue to do work uh, that's related to visual, you know, narrative storytelling and stuff like that. So there's, there's like, options for if I feel like uh, things aren't working out anymore, you know, but I kind of feel like, you know, I'm the type to just see how, you know, like, well, it's working okay right now. So we'll just, you know, we'll kind of see, see what happens. And, you know, the book part of my career kind of gradually getting better over time, like helps a lot. It gives me some flexibility to be like, oh, I I can kind of see how this might be okay in the immediate future. And, you know, it can still be a plan B. Yeah. What do you see as being the like 
kind of best and worst parts of your job at this point? It, it, you know, it changes a little bit. You know, like each book feels pretty different. Um, and then the parts that are great and the parts that are bad feel different. But on a whole, like I like the freedom and the ability to work on stuff that's interesting and challenging to me. And um, it works for me because I, I feel like just as a person, I've always been pretty okay just kind of doing things on my own and kind of having a lot of flexibility in space, even though I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe other people, like the instability is like more troubling, but like for me, it, like it feels okay. And I'm okay spending a lot of time alone, <laughs> like in my own little <laughs> world. Like ever since In Real Life came out and, and I more formally in the sort of like YA middle grade world, uh, just being able to interact with um, younger readers has been really amazing. Um, like I love going to libraries and, and just like, you know, doing talks and meeting kids who are interested in, in comics or, you know, like they just never thought that this was something that they could do. That's really cool. Um, so I think both the parts that are extremely just like about me being on my own and doing what I want and, but also like being able to meet a lot of kind of people that I, I never thought I would, um, has, is the best parts. Um, the worst parts are aside from the money, which is maybe like the most obvious thing, honestly for me like probably like self-promotion <laughs> you know like i'm talking to gina who was the marketing person at first second for a while and worked with me directly and it's definitely not gina's fault <laughs> it's like not oh she also worked with me directly and i'm sure i was terrible <laughs> you're both lovely people <laughs> it's not about gina this right. is totally about I, I think i just don't like the kind of artist as a brand kind of thing like that just doesn't um i'm just not uh yeah, it's just not very natural for me. Um, and there are people who do it very well, and it is done in their authentic voice. And I mean, and, and that's wonderful. I just I think for me, it's like, you know, like my my dream is to kind of be able to, to be a Beyonce where I can just like drop a book and not tell anybody <laughs> beforehand. And you know, not do any interviews and just like people will just like, you know, grab it up and like, it can it can speak for itself. Like that's, that's what I want. <laughs> yes, well, with my marketing hat on, I will just say that I, I think Having worked with both Allie and Jen as authors, I think you both did a very good job of self-promotion. Uh, and I feel like it, that is one of those things where people do get stressed about it a lot and think about it a lot and maybe think they're not very good at it. But, you know, just like being yourself on the internet and working with your publisher can kind of put together a good campaign and outreach for your book. Um, and it can be really stressful. And I understand that it can be super tough, but it doesn't necessarily have to be something that you stress too much Mostly about. I'm sitting here thinking, God, I should have done more school visits. Oh, <laughs> Gina tried to make me do them, but I was so tired. See, actually, see, I, I feel like very direct interactions like that, like school visits, like directly talking to readers, like actually find that to be really fun. And I think because that feels authentic and natural, I think it's more like the social media stuff. Yeah. And like, I think what bothers me is I think I actually am capable of being very good at it, but it just requires like tapping into a different side of me and like I'm just like resistant to that like self-promotion goblin Jeb Wang who you don't yeah I like I don't want you know like I don't want to validate that part of me <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay um is there anything else that you want to talk about and bring up that we didn't cover I think that's about it 
Yeah, we covered a lot. Let us have a return of Jen Wang, Internet Goblin. Um, Jen, where can people find you on the internet if they wish to look at what you're doing to promote yourself on social media or online? So I do have a website. It's jenwang.net. I have a Twitter that is um, alugobi. I chose the name back when I didn't want anyone to find me on Twitter. And now, like, obviously, that's like, you know, it's like, it's too late. Not so much a thing. But I, I am, I think I am going to change it just because like, I'm like, I'm just like in denial at this point. But um, A-L-O-O-G-H-O-B-I. Or you could probably just search for Jen Wang and it'll probably come up. And then uh, I'm on Instagram uh, at Wangstagram. So, and there's, yeah, I haven't, I, I think maybe because it's unannounced, I haven't really posted as much previews of the new book but while i was working on prints and stuff i was like updating lots of previews of what i was doing so um that's one way of just keeping track of what kind of art i've been up to yeah and i'm sure someday you'll announce this new book and we'll get to see all the amazing art from it we'll go pre-order it and be very excited yeah yeah i'm, I'm excited to uh to sort of have that be out in the open <laughs> Jen, thanks so much for coming and talking to us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. It was really great to talk to you. Yeah, no, thank you so much. This was really fun. Next time on Graphic Novel TK, we will be talking about cover blurbs and blurbs in general and what they are and whether they are useful and how to acquire them and when to acquire them and all these sorts of things. We're going to be talking with my editor, Diana, who is amazing and is literally emailing with me right now about this exact topic. Very exciting. She emailed me to say that she had turned into a velociraptor. So I feel like I'm getting the better out of this (laughs) conversational exchange than you. Yeah, look, look forward to that. Yes. Graphic Novel TK is co-produced by Gina Gagliano and Allison Wilgus and is brought to you by The Beat. You can find our show notes along with other comics news and podcasts at comicsbeat.com. Our podcast graphics were created by Shivana Sokdeo. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. You can follow us on Twitter at Graphic Novel TK or email us at graphicnoveltk at gmail.com. Hey, this is Allison. We recorded this episode a little while back, and there are two updates that seemed worth mentioning here in the mysterious back matter of Graphic Novel TK. Uh, first off is that since we recorded this episode, Jen's book was announced. It is called Stargazing. It is coming out from First Second Books in July of 2019, and it looks really charming. If you want to find out more about it, there was an announcement uh, and a cover reveal on the Mary Sue a little while back. If you Google Jen Wang stargazing, I'm sure it'll turn up. The other thing I wanted to mention, uh, careful listeners of the podcast might have noticed that we missed an episode last week. That is because I was dying last week. And by dying, I mean I was getting my graphic novel out the door. I turned it in yesterday, being um, Monday, November 5th. And with that, I have completed my uh, graphic novel duology that I've been working on for literally 11 years, which is insane. But it's done. 
It's with my editor. It's all just mop up now. I'm very excited to have my life back. And also, I specifically wanted to mention it here on the podcast because Gina is actually one of the first people to read some version of this comic. She uh, gave me notes on the original script for Cronin, God, back in like, I think it was 2007. And she's been a stalwart and very kind supporter of this project uh, for many, many years, basically its entire existence. Uh, So thanks, Gina. You've been great. Both my personal and my professional relationship with comics would be very different if you hadn't been my friend. And I'm sure that Cronin specifically would not have turned out as well as it did. And with that, I'm going to actually end this episode because it is past midnight and I am extremely tired. Can't imagine why. Maybe it's because I just kicked a graphic novel out the door. Oh my god. Oh god, yeah, I need to go to bed.